Welcome to a special episode of the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. Uh, and today I am joined by, I call him dad, you can call him Steve, uh, and our uh, very special guest, a friend of the podcast, Dr. Bradley Jerzak. Brad, welcome. Good to see you. <laughs> I, I see your you've up, updated your uh, or or upscaled your lifestyle here. You got Van Gogh's hanging in your house now. Uh, yeah, that's an original. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, but more importantly, we've got this beautiful icon from an iconographer in Liev, Ukraine. Wow! Seriously, I, I got this for my wife Eden. It's about Christ as the Creator, and it's just a really gorgeous icon. Could you bring that a little closer to us? That's beautiful. So. What's amazing about this, here we have Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, Colossians 1. Yep. And then down at the bottom, we've got the seven days of creation. And here we've got Adam and Eve. And there's. it's interesting that Adam has turned his face away already, but Eve is looking and kind of reflecting. Hmm. And as the image of God, uh, there's matching hair color. And so that's kind of neat. Hmm. Whoa! Wow! And uh, he's just his hand here. He's 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 holding it all together. He's the yeah. creator and sustainer of the cosmos. Wow! And his face is towards all of us and all things. That's so, so beautiful. That's beautiful. And the artist is from Kiev, from Liev. Oh, Liev! Yeah, there's oh. a whole um, there's a whole school of young iconographers in Liev. Yeah. Wow! Have you ever been to Liev? No, I have. No. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, okay. I hope it well, stays we're hoping beautiful. it will stay beautiful. Um, yeah. It's very good. hard. Yeah. Well, uh, we are – who called this meeting? <laughs> we're, we're hanging out today uh, to talk about just an interesting uh, topic that we wanted to uh, just discuss and throw around a little bit, which was uh, liturgy. Uh, and uh, I don't really know how that came about. You guys were chatting last week, I think, and thought, hey, we should we should get this uh, on the podcast. So here we are. We're talking about liturgy. Um, and maybe I think the first thing I'm, I'm going to want to get is a definition of, of liturgy, if I could, um, so that we kind of understand our topic of discussion. Uh, either one of you guys want to just uh, briefly describe what, what comes to mind when you hear the word liturgy? What, is, what does that mean to you? Do you want to start, Steve? No, I want you to start. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so when we think of liturgy, um, we're usually describing a kind of worship service, but it also extends beyond the service to the annual calendar that includes Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas. All of the So the annual calendar is a kind of liturgy, but really lit- liturgy is... is um, it's a kind of worship service. Well, I, 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 you might say it's the form of our worship service. Mm. So, yeah, I think all, that's well put. Every worship service has a liturgy. That is, there's probably a form or an outline that over time you can watch, even in a very informal church. But normally, when we talk about liturgy, we're talking about the way a service is constructed around scripture, around prayer, and an arc that leads us up to the Lord's table. And the, the fact that this is planned, and even often the uh, the scriptures themselves are, you know, calendarized, so that mm-hmm. on this particular week, we're going to celebrate um, this feast or this fast. We're going to pray together using these prayers um, from uh, whether they were composed more recently or from the Psalms, for example. And we're going to be... Um, 
you know, and it would include your singing and your your sermon and all of that. But the, the structure of a service that is designed um, is your liturgy. Yeah. Uh, anything to add before I ask? Uh, I would uh, I would just agree with that, and but to put this also in context because this did come out of I was thinking about it last week and then I phoned you and we thought it was a good idea. It, it's I I'd like today as we get there mm-hmm. to talk about the the importance and the richness, and then talk about how does that fit? Can that fit with more of a uh, more of a typical evangelical, and mm-hmm. I would agree with you, say liturgy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm interested to know, uh, backing right up to the beginning of, of church history, where uh, where did we begin to see a liturgy where there was a a more uh, I guess the word I would think of is intentional, like a, a more intentional uh, order of service, if you will, in terms of when when the church gathered to worship. Um, when do we start seeing that in history? Well, we see it from a thousand years before the church. I mean, so in other words, Christian liturgy was picking up the Jewish tradition where from the synagogue, uh, the the and the the temple and mm-hmm. and. You know, so there is an order of service. There's a a way that they went about um, about their their services, and we're not always exactly clear what they are, but we know a few things for sure. We know for sure that they used the Psalms. Yeah, that we call that the Psalter. It's their hymn book, mm-hmm. and we know that they would use particular Psalms in particular contexts, particular services throughout the year. We also know. That um, the the key to to that Jewish kind of liturgical thing element was uh, particular ways throughout the year in their feasts and fast, and that Jesus practiced these. So he's practicing Passover, for example, which would include a real clear uh, uh, indication of like you, they're telling a story, the story of redemption from their scriptures, from their prayers. They're they're reenacting it, so to speak, and that. Christians picked that up pretty clearly. Um, one, so, for example, uh, we know by the second century that they've got they've got a Paschal service that is the Passover service where they've picked up elements of the of the Jewish tradition and now um, they they're demonstrating through their liturgy how they are fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So. The other thing we see very early with early um, etchings in, on walls and so on, where you've got an altar um, that some of these altars were placed in homes that were renovated to have house church. But the altar is there and we will see images of, of a priest or a deacon or male or female lifting up their hands in prayer before the altar where they're going to receive the Lord's table. So, um, the debate is, you know, it's so funny how we project our own liturgies back into the first century as if we know how it worked. And really, that's a projection. It's a speculation. So if you talk to an Orthodox person, oh, yeah, they're virtually doing what we did, you know, in these houses and you've got the candles and you've got the altar and you've got the prayers. Well, OK, maybe. But is that what a is that what they did in a house church in Corinth? And then we start thinking about our own home groups. Oh, yeah, no, in Corinth, they're doing what we do in our home group. So <laughs> I will say that that 
There's there is of course there's a liturgy where they even began to practice weekly meetings on Easter, I, like every Sunday is Easter, hmm. and uh, we, it it's just a little bit hard to know uh, how formal or informal that liturgy was, and it would depend probably on if you're in Palestine versus Corinth, if you're in a Jewish congregation, um, in, in or if you're in a primarily Gentile. One, it, whether John planted the church or Paul did, I imagine that there was a range. Do we, uh, what's the earliest kind of, I won't call it systematized, but but organized written down liturgy? You know, is, is, it, is it Christostom's days or is it way before that, that we have that in a fairly concrete form? Um, I would say that the concrete forms, where I, um, you're going to see something like that in the Didache at the end of the first century, but it's not telling you the whole order of service. That's more about how they would do baptism yeah. and catechism and what to do with itinerant prophets and all of that. So it's not really saying the order of service. Then in the um, later in the second century, we've got Melito of Sardis. Mm-hmm. And all we have from him is is a homily that he gives in the midst of of a liturgical Passover service. He's a Jewish Christian, and he's just he's referred in the sermon to the previous scripture readings. So we know that they were doing a liturgy. We just don't know exactly what it was. Um, here's a problem too. You know, so we've got we've got Saint Basil mm-hmm. and. St. John Chrysostom, both of them, by the end, towards the end of the fourth century, we know exactly what they were doing. Like, we still do it in the Orthodox Church. Mm. But there's one that predates that called St. James Liturgy. And I'll tell you two stories about it very quickly. First story is this, that James, as the head of the church in Jerusalem, um was also very connected to the Jewish community there, and he established an, a, a, um, a liturgy based on the Jewish services fulfilled in Christ in the first century, and that we have that liturgy from St. James. However, let me tell you another story. I think it was composed in the fourth century, and they mm. put James' name on it. So that's a debate. <laughs> but it does it does speak to the tradition, that we have a tradition here of gathering to worship, to read Scripture, to pray together, to hear the scriptures in a homily, the gospel preached, and then culminating in 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 a um, in, in a Eucharist in the right receiving the Lord's table. So, so certainly this happened from the outset, but the the forms you could read now. I'm doubtful if they're earlier than the fourth century. Okay. It's except fragments. Yeah. Thanks. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is one of the, I, this sounds funny, but the benefits of, of a more uh, traditional liturgy is that we, the church uh, members are taken through, as, as you talked about earlier, Brad, the, the church calendar. And that means you're covering the entirety of scripture really over, a, I, I think the calendar is a three-year cycle of, of covering uh, the entire 
Holy Scriptures. And uh, that means that you're getting God's story from beginning to end, and you're beginning to see how these individual narratives fit into the larger uh, arc of God's story throughout history. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, how that works, even just the mechanics of that, and and what some of the benefits are of that? Sure. So it depends on which tradition. Um Every single service, you're getting the whole arc, mm-hmm. but you have to use sample scriptures to do so. Indeed. And throughout the course of one year, you're getting the whole arc. And again, you're using sample scriptures to do so because you do Easter once a year, Christmas once a year, all of that. Yeah. So, 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 so you're, you're doing like the arc of the, the grand drama of redemption. Um, every Sunday. This is very helpful for churches who've lost their way and they forgot to preach the gospel and you may go in and not even hear about Jesus or his death or his resurrection or salvation on any given Sunday. That can't happen in a liturgical service. Mm. By the way, you're also going to confess the creed. Here's what we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all of that. So, So that's part of the liturgy. A confession uh, of uh, of our commitment to the gospel story, so that's every Sunday. And so, the the when you get to the Eucharist, um, you're hearing about the death and resurrection as the culmination of the story every single Sunday. But then you do that over the arc of a year. That that's still like if you're preaching fifty two sermons. Um, you're not going to get through the whole Bible, but again, it's a sampling that's that where you take the samples and they go into the right place in the structure of the story of redemption. And then some congregations will go through a four year, three or four year cycle um, of where you're doing the same thing, but you're using different scriptures each time. So it's still, I, I could tell you the whole the gospel using one set of scriptures and then next time i could talk to you i could tell you the same gospel but i'm using a whole different set of scriptures and mm-hmm. and you do that like for 4 years and so you're covering a lot of the text yeah yeah there's also daily readings too right like it's not just that we're doing this during liturgical worship but that the the um the liturgists provide a a a daily scripture reading uh as well that does the same function yeah um have have you encountered uh you know Brad your uh your church membership is the orthodox church and uh dad you've uh you you've attended a lot of different churches just sampling different services as you travel around the world and stuff have you encountered a church that looks more like uh the uh, evangelical church of North America, if you will, but that is working itself through that that church calendar and and really mm-hmm. being intentional about presenting that full narrative as as Brad, you've just talked about in in each service. Wow. Well, then we get into the whole issue of you know how are we defining an evangelical church? Um, <laughs> you know we've got a we've got a friend who's got a Methodist church mm-hmm. and and certainly. Um, they use the same lectionary. That, in other words, they use the same scripture and themes. Um, but, and his preaching is, I would say, evangelical, although it's a short homily. It's not the 40-minute mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I suspect that many of my evangelical friends, especially charismatics, would say, no, 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 that isn't. Right. So it's a little bit hard to answer that way. I have seen little of it. To be truthful, I'm now, you know, I'm I'm part of a church that 
I'm largely in it, as you know, because they, uh, as I said to you the other day, they walk the walk even more than they talk the talk. Mm. And and I'm so obviously Impact Nations were so committed to the gospel being taken, especially to the disenfranchised, etc. But it's it's a pretty classic uh, evangelical, mildly charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Let me what pop I, in there for a moment. Yeah. Um, I am seeing this a lot more now. So, for example, Word of Life Church is not – they wouldn't identify as evangelical, yeah. but others might see them that way. Yeah, they definitely kind of a blend, isn't it? Yeah. Included liturgical elements and also the cycle of scripture readings. But even Eden's church, my wife, she leads a church that was a vineyard, very, very informal. Like as we call that low church. Yeah. <laughs> so when it's not smells and bells, low means informal, spontaneous, all of that. Even they are using the lectionary. So the lectionary, for those who don't know, the lectionary is the prescribed scripture readings for each Sunday. Yeah. So they found that as a as a very progressive, uh, informal um, kind of uh, small C charismatic church that using the lectionary has anchored their preachers. So they stay true to the gospel and that's a good reason to do it. So even if I'm a guest speaker there, they're like, here's, here's the readings for the day. And it'll usually be a Psalm, a gospel reading and an epistle. And you can include all three or you can include just do the gospel. But so I'm seeing that more and more like compared to 10 years ago. Oh, that's so good to hear, because uh, I haven't found that where the city I'm in. So sometimes uh, I'll go to the second service of my own, because, you know, that's becoming my family. But I will go to a liturgical church at 9 o'clock. Um, what, what are you looking for in that first, uh, I'll say, experience that you expect to be missing in the second? Okay. Uh, number one, um, I really, uh, the creed. It's really important. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, boy, I've got a lot to say about this. But <laughs> but the creeds are so central. They're historic. They're what we're grounded in. For me, especially the Nicene, but the Apostles' Creed. And I, I know, it's not opinion. It's fact that most of my charismatic evangelicals don't even know what they are or sure. that there is one. So I'm looking for that. Number two, I feel like the we'll use the word climax, the pinnacle, uh, is uh, the Eucharist, mm-hmm. is coming to the Lord's table. And I know that if I go there, that that will take place. Whereas I know in my evangelical church, that may happen once a month or less. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for corporate prayer. I think that there, and I'd like to, us to talk about that in a little bit, but I think that there's people... You know, we bemoan as pastors, you know, my 40 years of pastoring, we we get together as pastors, we bemoan that people don't read their Bibles and they don't know how to pray. Well, we don't model either one of those mm. for them every Sunday. Yeah. So um, I like knowing that when I go to a liturgical church, we're going to get an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel. Mm-hmm. And that those are preeminent. They're not like, oh, yeah, but that's going to cut into the sermon time. You see, yeah, and um, because uh, so that's really, really important to me. 
so we we don't know how we, our people don't read the Bible and they don't know how to pray. Well, here in a liturgical church, we together are praying yeah. each week, and we're praying prayers of confession for sins of of commission and and omission, mm-hmm. and we're we're learning to pray together. Yeah. So those are the things that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um. I want to take a, a quick break here, but uh, just as a matter of a tease, I, I want to come back and talk a little bit about these these corporate prayers uh, that that an entire congregation can engage in together. Uh, I want to understand a little bit more about uh, the reading of the Gospels, the Old Testament, things like that, just kind of what that looks like. Um, and then I I personally have some questions about um, the Psalter. You, you mentioned the Psalter and, and how that was really a, a massive part of worship uh, throughout history. I want to talk a little bit about how we can incorporate that in any modern service. But uh, before we jump into those things, I just wanted to talk very briefly to our listeners uh, about uh, the Impact Nation's mission and how you can participate. Uh, I I'm just going to fess up. I love what we do here. I just There are so many days, uh, Isaiah is producing this on the other side of the glass right now. How many times uh, during the week, Isaiah, do I just say like, man, I just, I love Impact Nations. I love this family. A uh, couple of quick things right off the top of my head. Um, we are, uh, right now we're working on, uh, we're planning uh, a trip for one of our partners from India who uh, he specializes uh, and oversees uh, house churches. Uh, and we've got uh, one of our partners in Uganda, uh, Trinity, you hear me speak of him often, who uh, is absolutely incredible at mentoring young people, uh, providing them with the skills that they need, providing them with job placements so that they can go and flourish and escape a life of gang violence and uh, and uh, sexual violence, um, childhood marriage, homelessness, all these things, and he's giving them the skills and they, they get to go and flourish. But what he what he said to you in a conversation the other day was like, but, but we've got, he's, he's become convicted that they've got to spend more of their time focused on discipleship, long-term transformational work of the gospel, uh, incorporated into these practical demonstrations of the gospel. So you put together, you and Isaiah are working together and put together this idea of, all right, well, let's take somebody who's incredible with uh, house church, with making disciples all over the place, let's bring him to Uganda and teach our guy who is absolutely incredible at... Uh, gathering communities of young people uh, and giving them skills, but uh, let's teach him how to make disciples in a in a no, new, profound, deep way. Meanwhile, <laughs> our friend from India uh, is just beginning this process of teaching people skills and giving them the practical knowledge that they're going to need to go into the marketplace and completely change their future economically. Uh, and so we're seeing that cross-pollination. Meanwhile... Uh, so he's going to go in there, So right? he's going to go spend two weeks in Uganda, and they are going to effectively train and mentor one another so that when at the end of that time, both of them will leave being completely built up and equipped for an area of ministry that they've not, uh, they've not been growing in recently. So uh, incredible opportunity right there. Um, you know, last year... Uh, we saw 300 more children come out of the brick factories. Uh, these are kids who are working, uh, some as young as five years old, working in absolutely sweltering heat uh, to make bricks. Uh, and they do this uh, for effectively no pay. Uh, and because of that, they never get an opportunity to go to school, which means for generations, generations, they have been doing this. You know, I saw a video the other day, uh, a mother just absolutely uh, exuding thankfulness and gratitude uh, 
uh, because uh, we had given her her child an opportunity to go to school. And she said, she said, we have wasted our lives in this factory. For generations, we have wasted our lives making bricks and never getting ahead. And now we have a future. We have a hope. Everything's going to change. Uh, we, at the beginning of this year, uh, were able to send another 300 kids. That brings our total, by the way, since 2019 when we started doing this, we've got over 2,200 children who are, <laughs> who are no longer making bricks from the age of five and up. Instead, they're going to school and they've got a future. They've got a hope. They're receiving ongoing mentorship and hearing about Christ. And everything has changed for them. Uh, when you give to Impact Nations, you are absolutely rescuing lives. You are transforming lives forever. You are bringing long-lasting transformation, uh, both spiritually, economically, uh, in terms of their, their health and well-being, uh, clean water, all of these things. You are changing lives holistically through the power of the gospel. Uh, and we can't do it without you. And so I wanted to talk to you today about monthly giving. We are looking to enlist more monthly giving champions. We call them champions because that's what you are. When you give monthly, you are a champion. And you are bringing the truth of the gospel to the poor, the marginalized, those who are in such desperate need of the reality of the kingdom of God in their lives. Uh, We've got hundreds and hundreds of listeners to this podcast all over the globe. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we've got uh, right now we have 92 people who give monthly to Impact Nations. And we're very, very thankful for those 92 people. I would like to challenge you. The math says that even if every single one of those people was a podcast listener, uh, that means that there are a whole lot of podcast listeners uh, who have an opportunity to partner with us on a, on a monthly basis still. Uh, just throwing out a number here. If 200 of those who are listening right now... Uh, were to sign up and, and start giving monthly, uh, and let's just say $50 a month uh, to Impact Nations. Uh, that's another, what's the math? It's $10,000. That's $10,000 a month, right? $120,000 a year that we could we could take and rescue that many more lives with. And I'm telling you, by the way, the opportunity is massive. We, Isaiah and I, have the heartbreaking job of having to say no to many opportunities uh, that are before us because we just don't have the finances to do it. Uh, and with your help, we can start saying yes to a whole lot more. So this is a stronger pitch than I've made in the in the past. I'm usually a little softer on this, but I, I would plead with you. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, um, bluntly, if, if this is enriching your life, if if you are growing in the Lord because you you spend time hearing Dad's teaching and and Brad's teaching and stuff, um, please join us in the big picture of bringing the reality of heaven to those who are in such desperate need of Jesus and such desperate need of the the holistic transformation that only He can bring. Um, you can head to Impact Nations dot com slash monthly uh, and sign up for a monthly gift today. Again. Uh, imagine what we could do if we had uh, hundreds of more listeners sign up for just $50 a month. Uh, it would completely change the world. And that's my job. I'm here to inspire you. Come join us and change the world. Uh, and you will be absolutely blessed and blown away to see what God does uh, with those dollars that you sow into this ministry. Because we have seen uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives in our history uh, absolutely radically transformed by the power of the gospel. So, Amen. Well. <laughs> so I didn't know I was going to do that, but there you go. Hey, can I, can I, let me say a couple of things about this liturgy. Yeah. Because I think about it a lot. Um, many of our listeners know that I, I, I've planted directly or sent out planters, you know, quite a lot of times over the years. And I would 
plant a church so differently now hmm. than I did back yeah. then. Uh, I wouldn't throw out what we did, signs and wonders and, and worship that was just, you know, adoration, but I would enrich it with what we're talking about. Yeah. One of the things that I would love for churches to do as, as like an, a beginning step is every week, as part of the service, uh, do one of the creeds. The Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. And I'll give you a couple of reasons. Three reasons. One, we uh, the truths, the, the foundational truths of our gospel um, are being written into our hearts week by week. Um, number two, we are building week by week, on the historical truths of the church. The Nicene Creed was one of the most important things, many say, more than the, the, than the Reformation, mm. actually. And it was like 325, and then they went back and, and worked it some more in 381. But so you are building on the truths of that, and I, as a, as a grandparent, would love if my children were every week getting that until it was just built into them, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Um, and then thirdly, we we need to understand, and I'm going to talk about this with the Ephesians series, that Paul is focusing there on the universal church, that, that the body of Christ, etc., that we are part of something that's rather mystical and down to earth, and that... When I say the Nicene Creed, I am joining with the cloud of witnesses that have shared it for 1,700 years, and I am, I am joining with the, the, the church universal, the Catholic church, meaning universal, that right now, this week, yeah. is declaring that. These things, to me, have become the older I've got, the longer I've been preaching, they're more this is the most one of the most basic basic things and i would say that that any church frankly could say let's do this yeah let's every week do this i, I don't know if you want to add any more to that brad but you can tell that i feel you know not quite as passionate as tim was 5 minutes ago but <laughs> but fairly passionate about this yeah i one good example of that would again our friend brian's on at word of life church you know in a very contemporary service where they're even writing songs for that week to match the sermon. They're also, they also have like a time where they sing the creed together in a beautiful way Mm. um, where they all stand up for a gospel reading every single week. That that same gospel reading we, that, that may be um, used in Thailand today and Brazil and in Germany and, and, um, and so there's some of these, and, and then the other thing is, and we'll, we'll get to prayer in a moment, but like even how the Psalter really got incorporated into, let's say, churches like the Vineyard, where a lot of the Vineyard worship shifted from theologies about God that were probably beautiful and very educational. The hymns I grew up in the Baptist church, it would have the incarnation, death, resurrection, second coming. That was the verses over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. We proclaimed it. But in movements, we call them, let's say, third wave movements in the in the eighties, 
a lot of the worship shifted to prayer. Mm-hmm. They're addressed directly to God. And you're like, did you even pray in that service? And we, when we were running Fresh Wind, which is very low church style, someone visiting said, you're almost your entire service was prayer. Well, that's how liturgy is supposed to be, I think. Mm. It's, it's so every song, we, we would do songs, which were prayers, and then the worship leader would take a break from that and begin to pray. And then we'd come back in and we'd, we'd sing some more songs. And then I would come up and I would do a pastoral prayer. We'd do an, an intercession. And, and, uh, and then, we, yeah, we did, we'd do a sermon, which was too long. But then we'd have a ministry time at the end. So these were, I, I think, it, if we could think about liturgy as prayer, then we're not assuming that, you know, that it's just ritualistic. Well, or formal. Like, no, in, in very dynamic churches, like, for example, the Ethiopian Orthodox. I mean, you're going to get African worship, but it's liturgical, and it's quite a remarkable fusion and i i do see that more and more these days even in terms of songs that you know tim has written how many of the songs have you written where you're actually addressing the lord in prayer and i you know Mm -hmm. that's one thing this is what i was doing this morning as i sat down at my piano and just sang prayer Hmm. and uh and interesting you mentioned vineyard I hadn't yep. listened to any vineyard worship in forever and a day, and something came up two days ago, and now this is the third morning. I'm just listening to vineyard worship as I drive to the office and thinking the same thing. This is so intimate. This is so to Jesus and to the Father. And uh, that's so, funny so how current that is yeah, for me. Let, let's talk about worship for a sec. Um I'm uh, I'm in a hermeneutics course at my church right now with a number of other leaders really enjoying that. And right just this week, our lesson was on the Psalms and poetry. And uh, we were observing that the largest portion of Psalms are laments. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with that term, a song of, of sorrow uh, is probably the, another synonym for that. Uh, and the question came up, what happened to the lament? Like, is there a place for lament in a modern worship service? If if so much of our scripture is actually dedicated to to lament, expressing sorrow, um, that seems to, based at least in in the tradition that I'm a part of, seems to have fallen away. Where we're not spending a lot of time lamenting, uh, and so the question is: Is there a place for lament? Uh, and what? Does that or should that look like in a liturgy or a modern church service? Yeah, I mean, if you've got worship leaders just picking and choosing, they're going to want to, you know, they they may want to just have an uplifting set. And even the people who are lamenting uh, may want that. But so here, but here's the tradition. So in, in the Psalter, they understand that, that, there, that God has welcomed us to come exalt him, to lament to him, to complain to him. And so what they would do is, you know, that that's included in the Psalter. Now, let's take a next step into Christian worship. We talked about how there, well, and this would have been true for the Jews too, but if we're telling our story, if we're telling the gospel, you've got... The, the liturgy is designed so that you you move from the fall of Adam and Eve 
leaving paradise all the way to the shock and horror of the crucifixion, the lament outside the tomb on Holy Saturday, the the joy of the resurrection service. So now when I'm thinking about the range of types of genres for worship, instead of thinking, well, which people in the church are sad today, which are happy today? I don't want to bring them down, but I want to build them up, but we need to lament. And you're making too many decisions based on, will this apply to the people? Hmm. Instead, you apply those Psalms to the story. Hmm. And you walk everyone through the whole story. I am Adam and Eve locked out of paradise. I am David after he sinned with Bathsheba, Psalm 51. I am David when he finds out the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I am in wonder when I first realized Jesus has just filled a net full of fish. I am the the women, the myrrh-bearing women, downcast as the as this the, the the tomb is sealed i am mary magdalene when he first says my name as the risen lord so so in other words how do these fit into the service is they fit into the story and we tell the story every week now what happens is as everyone is welcomed to remember the story at some point in that story it will connect with us so it could be like you know, in, in the Orthodox Church, we also include the imprecatory psalms. Those are the hateful yeah. psalms calling for violence. And How do you I'm manage like, those? Well, well, we use it in the story, right? So, and then we're like, so first of all, um, you know, how, how angry we might be when we find out Judas has betrayed Jesus. And Psalm 55 is about that. And and so we're like, okay, this we're telling the story. And then a weird thing happens. You're like, geez, when we did that psalm, I saw somebody else's face. Hmm. And it surfaces the malice in my heart that I'm going to need to bring to the communion table later, hmm. that I'm going to need to let go of before I partake. And so now, so the scriptures fit in the story, then I participate in the story, and then the story begin, begins unlocking those parts of my heart that need to hear the story today. And it's all very coherent then. Yeah. So that would be how I how I approach it. And then any psalm, even like, you know, to be very vulnerable about it. One day I'm I'm preaching, I, I'm I'm chanting, because we chant them or we sing them. Mm-hmm. I'm chanting the psalm about that that the Lord would would dash my enemies' babies' heads on the stone. And you're like, we got to get rid of that in the Bible. No, we don't. We have to chant it until I realize, my goodness, right now my biggest enemy was my my daughter-in-law. She was divorcing my son, and we didn't know if we'd see our granddaughter again. And I'm so grateful that God's walked us through to mercy and reconciliation. But in that context, the Lord spoke to me and said, what are you going to do when your granddaughter is that child? Are you really, you, do you really want me to dash her head on the stone? I'm like, no. And he goes, then you should pray for mercy for your daughter-in-law. And so I did. And she got this major revelation of mercy eventually that has led to restoration in our home, in our family, in our relationship. So that'd be an example where but that imprecatory psalm, initially it fits into the drama of redemption with all the horror that's going on. And now it meets my horrors in a way that transforms me. 
I think that, I mean, that's powerful stuff, <laughs> right? That's, but it's, it's having to go to those kinds of Psalms that I don't like. I yeah. read over those pretty quick. Check, check the highlighting in my Bible. You won't see a lot of that there, <laughs> but it t- causes us to have a real life in Christ. And the church, we have trouble with that. Do you hear a lot of preaching on even on suffering or it, it we we want the positive and it's good. Positive's good. And we want the loving and that's good. Do you know another thing this goes back to with liturgy? I think liturgy under this theme of, of the the full arc that you talked about, it takes us to realism. Uh, yeah. emotional and spiritual realism. Because yeah. one of the things that I was thinking about this morning when I was just, you know, doing my morning reading is I don't even hear much talk about sin anymore in the church. Uh, I hear some talk about other people's sins, oh, what they're doing, you know, and God's judging because of what they're doing. But I don't hear a lot of confession. I don't hear a lot of Psalm 51, oh, Lord, have mercy on me and yeah. heal me. And yeah, in our I, church, we do it every week. Psalm yeah, 51, every single week. And that yeah. is so healthy. But um, it's another reason for liturgy. So so let me <laughs> not push back, but just the, the thoughts that have come into my head before when I've heard, heard liturgy um, and prayers that include this re- repetition of Lord have mercy on me. Uh, the initial thought, especially when I was younger, was like, he already has. Like, stop <laughs> Stop asking. Um, He had mercy on you. He sent Christ. Walk in the victory that he's won. Walk in the mercy that he has already offered you. Stop begging for what you already have. Um, What say you? I have have (laughs) thoughts about that. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, in the evangelical tradition that I grew up in, we came to reduce mercy to God withholding wrath. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in... In the Jewish tradition, and in mercy is hesed, it's loving kindness. Yes. And in Greek, it's a pun on oil, anointing oil, healing oil, olive oil, lamp oil, and that we're and so so let's take or or healing. If you think of healing oil or healing salve, that's that's eleison. Lord have mercy. And so in our, you know, we, we, in the liturgical services I'm part of, we have things, this is the corporate intercession that all to get all of us together. It's not Lord have mercy on me. It's, it's Lord have mercy on, on all these things. So I'm just going to read one. And, and I want you to imagine there's two ways to imagine it. In each case, you apply the salve of mercy where it's needed like, why would you pray for healing? He's already healed them. No, he hasn't. <laughs> we so, like, you know, an impact nations um, is active in their prayers for what? For healing. Well, that's what mercy is. But also another way to see it is the infinite spring of mercy that's always flowing, and you don't turn on the tap by asking for it. You get under the waterfall. Yeah. So uh, here would be... Um, Listen to this as as a corporate worship. We do this three or four times a service. So we come back to it again and again and again. In fact, we'll even say that again and again, we pray to the Lord. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
For the peace from above and salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. So I'm coming under the waterfall. I'm experiencing what has already been given. For the peace of the whole world, for the stability of the holy churches of God, for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. We pull them under the waterfall. Lord, have mercy. Pour out your mercy. For this holy house, for those who enter it with faith, reverence, and awe of God, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For pious and orthodox Christians everywhere, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our Archbishop Lazar, for the Honorable Presbytery, the deacons in Christ, for all the clergy and people, uh, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our country, for the president, for those in public service, we pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those that the city and every city and every land and for the faithful who live in us, in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Now listen to specifics. Think you're a farmer. For favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth, for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who travel by land, sea, and air, for the sick, suffering, and captives. Your salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and necessity, let us pray to the Lord. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, protect us, O God, by your grace. So, I mean, that would be one of the litanies. And in yes, you can do it mindlessly, just like you can say, Jesus, Lord, we love you. We just really, really, really want to worship you and really, really want, <laughs> you know, we all have liturgies. Some are just lame. <laughs> but this is pretty this is inclusive and so i am mindful i don't know about it's not mine to judge the person next to me but i am bringing every one of those under that waterfall with me in intercession along with allegedly 350 million orthodox christians in the world which is probably also not really true but i'm participating that way so dad you talked about uh, what you know, pastors' chief complaints often are you know, people don't read their Bible and people don't pray. People often don't pray because they don't know how. Yep. Uh, what we've just heard is a, is a great example of how to, uh, admittedly pray very thoroughly. Um, do you, how do you incorporate some of these written prayers in, in your own personal prayer life? Mm. Um, well, I. The Jesus Prayer, mm-hmm. yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, um, uh, is a pretty regular part of my prayer life. And and by that, I it isn't necessarily when I'm sitting in my chair, it's whenever I'm driving. Um, so I incorporate it at that level. Uh, I, I incorporate um, some of the written prayers. Actually, Brian wrote a book from uh, Water to Wine, uh, Jeepers, it's got to be eight or nine years ago. And he's got his own prayer model near the back. And I uh, I took a picture of it on my phone, and I have on and off over the years. Um, you know, Brad and I were just saying the other day, Brian once said, uh, when you can't pray, say your prayers. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's helpful for me. Yeah. Um, Brad, you... You mentioned that it uh, it is possible to kind of say those mindlessly, I think is the phrase you use, but to kind of engage in that, uh, especially I think as that becomes more your tradition, uh, in the same way, by the way, that we <laughs> we can sing a worship song that's up on the screen because uh, we've sung it enough times, we can kind of do that without really engaging our minds in the content. But uh, it is possible to, to 
engage in these rote prayers without actually really uh, soulfully or, or mindfully engaging. How do you personally combat that? Because I'm sure you, I, I've noticed you are a human being. Um, and so I'm guessing that that can be a struggle for you, that, that you're kind of, you just fall into the habits and, and aren't fully engaged. How do you combat that to be fully engaged in, in these traditional prayers that you're praying? Um, so a couple of things on that. One is, I think there, there's a worry that it's not going to be fresh, <laughs> hmm. but in a, the liturgies I do, I mean, there, there's, I'm doing like the incredibly intrusive prayer of the Magnificat, Mary's prayer. My hmm. soul magnifies the Lord in there. It's like, bring down the lofty. And yes. raise up the destitute. And I picture it. Hmm. I'm like, wow, this is intense. No wonder that some some fascist nations forbid this prayer. So picturing it helps me. Mm-hmm. And then I go on to the Beatitudes. Like my my dad had had it out with me on this a little bit. It's like, tell me about the liturgy, because like it just seems ritualistic and formalistic. I'm like, well, which parts would you like me to exclude? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> no, no, we'll keep that one. Okay, how about this one? Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are those, he's no, we'll keep that one. Okay, how about this one? <laughs> um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Um, no, that's a good one too. And I'm like, does this sound repetitive and mindless to you? It's like, no, no. It's like, um, well, so so if I picture it, it helps. If I focus on key words and, and internalize them, that helps. And also maybe the liturgy is long enough on purpose to wear down your intentions of staying into it. Maybe it's just meant to get – that you can't just do it in the flesh. And mm-hmm. so, so – Instead of thinking of it as the longer I do this, the more dry it gets. That's not been my experience. It's more like as I auger through the ice of my own heart using the liturgy, at some point the auger pops through. And it's like when I was a little kid ice fishing, at some point it pops through. And that ice might even be my assumptions or my zeal Hmm. (laughs) or my bad week or the lack of coffee. Um, but but if I just stay with it, all of a sudden the water may gush up, and 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 that may even be in tears. It may be being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. So Archbishop Lazar, he has he has done the liturgy every week, but he does a daily one. But he does every week. He does he's at the altar praying these prayers, and now he's in his eighties. And he can't get through the prayers at the altar or the communion elements without weeping hmm. ever. And and uh, to the point where, like, is this just like a habit now? It's like te- so the tears themselves become part of the liturgy. So I don't know. It's sort of like the same question as how do you maintain a marriage? <laughs> how do you relate to your friends? It's like. We do what we can to pay attention. So 
picturing and focusing and seeing how this old scripture is still fresh to me today. And these yeah. prayers, so if I'm praying prayers of intercession, it's like for my family by name, that's uh I've got fresh problems today that I didn't have last week. <laughs> That'll keep it fresh. Yeah. That's some thoughts, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about uh, what's next, because I think that probably some of our, our listeners uh, are, well, I know for a fact that many of our listeners are involved weekly in crafting a service, a church service mm-hmm. as a pastor, a worship leader, um, and so most of our listeners would be from uh, a more charismatic or, or evangelical kind of, uh, I'll use the word modern, or you, you said low, low church type of service, Brad. Uh, but they're hearing this and they're like, ah, oh, I do crave this uh, desire to see the entire story told every week, to make sure that every text is placed inside the gospel story so that it's got a richer meaning. Um, or I, I want to see creeds or, or, you know, have people learning to pray as a part of the service. Uh, what, are, what do you think are some practical steps that leaders of, uh, you know, a modern Western church uh, could do to incorporate some of these ideas without just, you know, saying, all right, we're, well, now we're going to be a traditional liturgical church, uh, which is not a, a practical thing, obviously. Let me take a whack at that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would shepherd the church through it. Um, I would I would teach, uh, frankly, a more beautiful gospel, uh, more uh, a broader. Uh, you know, they need a bigger Christ. The church needs, a, by and large, the guy in the pew needs a bigger, which is to say, a more real and realistic Christ. So I would shepherd them through, and start to make them hungry for some for a bigger gospel. Um, and then out of that hunger, and you know, you do that through whatever, maybe just several weeks of sermons and you know where you're going, but, and then, <clears throat> and with that, I would, I would bring in a little church history because people always find history interesting and they should know that, uh, you know, the church didn't start in the 21st century and it didn't start in 1517. Then for me... I would move toward uh, prayerfully, because you can't just suddenly put in all these elements and still have a, an hour and 20-minute service, right? So you've got to be changing emphases. I think having taught someone the history and the richness, I probably would do a creed. As I said, that's, that's for me, that's not that hard. Mm-hmm. I think I would also do some scripture readings. They don't need to be long. And they don't even have to be someone coming up to the front. We can encourage people to look at their Bibles because people might be surprised, but weekly church attenders, um, only 18% of them open their Bible from Sunday to Sunday. So I would do that. I would, let's, let's read today. Let, let's read this section of the gospel and, and I'd make sure that what I'm preaching is in tying into that. So, I mean, that's where I'd start because I think those the, – the preaching is your real lining. 
you're not adding time, you're realigning. And then I would start with those which are not long elements. Now, now personally, where I'd like to get to is, is the Lord's Supper every week, but I wouldn't just jump there. That's how I'd go at it as a good old charismatic. How about you, Brad? <laughs> um, yeah, it also depends if you're planting the church or like how much of a change it's going to be. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean shifting, not case. planting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at Fresh Wind, when we planted the church, we just said we're going we're to start with the Lord's Supper every week. Yeah, um, it's very weird too because you've got some churches like the Georgian Orthodox; they they provide the Lord's Supper every week. And yet some of them are only taking it four times a year. So it's weirdly self-regulated. Um, anyway, that's an aside. Um, but if you were a pastor of a church, as Tim said, and you wanted to move them, how would you go about it? Yeah, I would try to do it. I, we did, My sense is to do everything in consensus with the elders. If I was the pastor, I would also... I would deliberately say, you know, in this tradition, the sermon is too long, and we we we're making the sermon the point. And if the sermon's going to be the point, it has to be the gospel every week. You can't do leadership themes from the life of Moses every single week. The the scripture needs to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and His good news. I, I by policy, and so I've done that in. I experienced that in two churches, and I prescribed it in in a third. Um, and then, but I would shorten the sermon too. So I, when I started, I wanted forty minutes, and my mm -hmm. and there the Mennonite church said, "No, you get twenty two minutes." I'm like, I need forty minutes. And then my mentor <laughs> slapped me down. He's like, "If you can't say it in twenty two, you can't say it in 40. So I learned how to preach in 22-minute sermon. I got to the Orthodox Church, and, and they're like, your sermon isn't the message. The service is the message culminating in the Eucharist. Your sermon is a commentary on how this gospel story is the whole gospel, something like that. So now I aim, I aim to preach 8 to 10 minutes. Well, some people, I, that's a big stretch, but I would I would just say, over time, shepherding them towards making the Eucharist the point rather than the sermon the point. Yes. Yeah. Billy Graham way, also said— just the, the creed again earlier on, it's yeah. also protective. So I know pastors who are post-theists. They don't believe in God anymore, and well, and they're priests of a church. Uh. But— Every single time the people come to church, they're confessing the creed. So in a in a church where the, even the priest doesn't believe in the Trinity or the existence of God or the reality of the resurrection, he could be there 10 or 15 years, and, and, and the creed guards the hearts of the people to proclaim the gospel message every single week. So that it, it's – and that would have – I think in the ways that evangelicalism, for example, has become more politicized over time, the creed protects you from the yes. effects of that to a degree. I absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. Wow. So to underline for this a point of commonality, for me, people listening, <laughs> I'd start with the creed. Yeah, start with the creed. Mm -hmm. okay. And again, do, sing it. 
I mean, we sing it anyway in the Orthodox Church. Yeah. This craving Steve's talking about is real. Uh, here's how you can see it. Churches that end up using smoke machines. What's that about? Well, <laughs> they miss the incense. They miss the and smells the and bells. About, <laughs> you know, the incense was about the, the Shekinah glory in the temple and the, remembering that and then offering incense of prayers back up to the Lord like the high priestly prayer. So it's like... Okay, I get it. You've got a craving, and it's now silly, but but hear what hear what's under it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Mm. That's good. Well, uh, our time is coming to a close. Any any last thoughts from either you guys? I just like to know where the bubble machine fits in <laughs> with the historic. <laughs> um, um, I would I would say this. Um, there were times in my life when I was so broken I couldn't pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and even I couldn't hardly say my prayers. I didn't have any except for Lord have mercy. And in those times I would attend a liturgical service and I would let the prayers of the people carry me like a stretcher. And I did that for months on end. So, um, so if you... Uh, but one practical thing you could do is when you're in a good headspace, maybe compose your own prayer that you could return to and pray when you're not in a good headspace. Yeah. And make it beautiful, make it rich, um, and understand that this is what the Psalms were trying to do from the fir- in the first place, and also what some of the other ancient prayers. You might also um, just look up some of the ancient prayers. Um, you could Google octo echoes, O C T O, octo like an octopus, because there's eight there's eight cycles. O- octo echoes, E C H O S, and echoes because it's there's a a cycle of them. If you Google that and go Opto Echoes online, you'll be able to see all sorts of beautiful prayers that that proclaim the gospel from ancient times, and that's that's quite enriching too. Yeah, and enriching is the key word. My final comment shouldn't be frivolous. Um, it has enriched my relationship with the Lord, and in the days pre-COVID, when I had people gathering from all different backgrounds in my living room every week and we integrated this stuff in uh, again and again and again they talked to me afterwards about what a rich experience of Christ so this is this is an invitation into a much richer deeper Mm -hmm. corporate expression absolutely Uh, well folks if you've got uh Further questions or comments, write to us at podcast at impactnations.com. We'd love to uh, engage with you there. Um, Brad, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, sure, appreciate it. Uh, just love having you here. Uh, and you hit me with a couple of doozies today that I'm going to go back and listen to again. Um, any Anything we can be directing our listeners to for you? Anything you're pushing these days, a book or conference or anything? Um, yeah, we've released my book on deconstruction called Out of the Embers. And it's faith after the great deconstruction. Uh, if folks want to get that, it's it's on all places online, and you can probably ask your local store to order yeah. it for you. And as it's well. fantastic. Out of the it's Ambers, a great book. Faith yeah. after the great deconstruction. Yeah. You can find that on 
a little place called Amazon. Thank you so much, Brad. And uh, just one more reminder to our listeners, we sure would love to have you participate with us in rescuing lives with a really big gospel. Uh, head to impactnations.com slash monthly. Sign up for a monthly gift today. I promise you, uh, your gift will be absolutely radically changing lives all over the globe. To those who are giving uh, on a regular basis already, thank you so much. Uh, you have uh, sent us out, empowered us, uh, been the engine behind this machine uh, to uh, go and bring incredible transformation to communities all over the globe and we couldn't do it without you so thank you so much uh thanks for listening to the impact nations podcast we are actually this has been a special episode but next week we're starting season seven uh and you are doing an in-depth study on uh hopefully it's not leviticus it's second hesitations <laughs> second hesitations perfect uh, Ephesians, Ephesians. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that. I've, I've had you've, you've popped into my office a couple times in recent weeks as you're prepping, and I'm getting very, very excited about it. But there's also there's one more very important addition to the podcast that is coming oh. next week, uh, and I you're not going to want to miss it. So I'm not going to tell you what it is, but a whole oh. new element, a whole new. Uh, aspect of the podcast that we've never had before. And it's quite exciting. It is very exciting. And so, unique. I've, I don't think I, this aspect. I have is. not encountered it in a podcast anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and so, and by the way, it's one more reason to be tuning in via video. Uh, so this podcast is released every week. The audio is available to you in whatever podcast app uh, you use, uh, Apple Podcasts or what have you. Um, but also we are available on YouTube. Uh, so you can just head to impactnations.com slash podcast. Uh, to uh, catch audio, video, what have you. Uh, but I definitely, starting next week for sure, uh, you need to catch the video. Absolutely. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next week.